chapter eight part two of supplements to the first book second half the doctrine of the abstract idea or thinking from the world as will and idea volume two by arthur schopenhauer translated by r b haldane and j kemp this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine the doctrine of the idea of perception chapter eight on the theory of the ludicrous part two the second species of the ludicrous follows as we have mentioned the opposite path from the abstract conception to the real or perceptible things thought through it but this now brings to light any incongruity with the conception which was overlooked and hence arises an absurdity and therefore in the practical sphere a foolish action since the play requires action this species of the ludicrous is essential to comedy upon this depends the observation of voltaire j'ai cru remarquer au spectacle qu'il ne soulève presque jamais de ces éclats du rire universel quoi l'occasion d'une méprise preface de l'enfant prodigue the following may serve as examples of this species of the ludicrous when someone had declared that he was fond of walking alone an austrian said to him you like walking alone so do i therefore we can go together he starts from the conception a pleasure which two love they can enjoy in common and subsumes under it the very case which excludes community further the servant who rubbed a worn sealskin in his master's box with macassar oil so that it might become covered with hair again in doing which he started from the conception macassar oil makes hair grow the soldiers in the guard-room who allowed a prisoner who was brought in to join in their game of cards then quarrelled with him for cheating and turned him out they let themselves be led by the general conception bad companions are turned out and forget that he is also a prisoner that is one whom they ought to hold fast two young peasants had loaded their gun with coarse shot which they wished to extract in order to substitute fine without losing the powder so one of them put the mouth of the barrel in his hat which he took between his legs and said to the other now you pull the trigger slowly 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 then the shot will come first he starts from the conception prolonging the cause prolongs the effect most of the actions of don quixote are also cases in point for he subsumes the realities he encounters under conceptions drawn from the romances of chivalry from which they are very different for example in order to support the oppressed he frees the galley slaves properly all munchausenisms are also of this nature only they are not actions which are performed but impossibilities which are passed off upon the hearer as having really happened in them the fact is always so conceived that when it is thought merely in the abstract and therefore comparatively a priori it appears possible and plausible but afterwards if we come down to the perception of the particular case thus a posteriori the impossibility of the thing indeed the absurdity of the assumption is brought into prominence and excites laughter through the evident incongruity of what is perceived and what is thought for example when the melodies frozen up in the post-horn are thawed in the warm room when munchausen sitting upon a tree during a hard frost 
draws up his knife which has dropped to the ground by the frozen jet of his own water etc such is also the story of the two lions who broke down the partition between them during the night and devoured each other in their rage so that in the morning there was nothing to be found but the two tails there are also cases of the ludicrous where the conception under which the perceptible facts are brought does not require to be expressed or signified but comes into consciousness itself through the association of ideas the laughter into which garrick burst in the middle of playing tragedy because a butcher in front of the pit who had taken off his wig to wipe the sweat from his head placed the wig for a while upon his large dog who stood facing the stage with his forepaws resting on the pit railings was occasioned by the fact that garrick started from the conception of a spectator which was added in his own mind this is the reason why certain animal forms such as apes kangaroos jumping hares etc sometimes appear to us ludicrous because something about them resembling man leads us to subsume them under the conception of the human form and starting from this we perceive their incongruity with it now the conceptions whose observed incongruity with the perception moves us to laughter are either those of others or our own in the first case we laugh at others in the second we feel a surprise often agreeable at the least amusing therefore children and uneducated people laugh at the most trifling things even at misfortunes if they were unexpected and thus convicted their preconceived conception of error as a rule laughing is a pleasant condition accordingly the apprehension of the incongruity between what is thought and what is perceived that is the real gives us pleasure and we give ourselves up gladly to the spasmodic convulsions which this apprehension excites the reason of this is as follows in every suddenly appearing conflict between what is perceived and what is thought what is perceived is always unquestionably right for it is not subject to error at all requires no confirmation from without but answers for itself its conflict with what is thought springs ultimately from the fact that the latter with its abstract conceptions cannot get down to the infinite multifariousness and fine shades of difference of the concrete this victory of knowledge of perception over thought affords us pleasure for perception is the original kind of knowledge inseparable from animal nature in which everything that gives direct satisfaction to the will presents itself it is the medium of the present of enjoyment and gaiety moreover it is attended with no exertion with thinking the opposite is the case it is the second power of knowledge the exercise of which always demands some and often considerable exertion besides it is the conceptions of thought that often oppose the gratification of our immediate desires for as the medium of the past the future and of seriousness they are the vehicles of our fears our repentance and all our cares it must therefore be diverting to us to see this strict untiring troublesome governess the reason for once convicted of insufficiency on this account then the mean or appearance of laughter is very closely related to that of joy on account of the want of reason thus of general conceptions the brute is incapable of laughter as of speech this is therefore a prerogative and characteristic mark of man yet it may be remarked in passing that his one friend the dog 
as an analogous characteristic action peculiar to him alone in distinction from all other brutes the very expressive kindly and thoroughly honest fawning and wagging of its tail but how favourably does this salutation given him by nature compare with the bows and simpering civilities of men at least for the present it is a thousand times more reliable than their assurance of inward friendship and devotion the opposite of laughing and joking is seriousness accordingly it consists in the consciousness of the perfect agreement and congruity of the conception or thought with what is perceived or the reality the serious man is convinced that he thinks the things as they are and that they are as he thinks them this is just why the transition from profound seriousness to laughter is so easy and can be effected by trifles for the more perfect that agreement assumed by seriousness may seem to be the more easily is it destroyed by the unexpected discovery of even a slight incongruity therefore the more a man is capable of entire seriousness the more heartily can he laugh men whose laughter is always affected and forced are intellectually and morally of little worth and in general the way of laughing and on the other hand the occasions of it are very characteristic of the person that the relations of the sexes afford the easiest materials for jokes always ready to hand and within the reach of the weakest wit as is proved by the abundance of obscene jests could not be if it were not that the deepest seriousness lies at their foundation that the laughter of others at what we do or say seriously offends us so keenly depends on the fact that it asserts that there is a great incongruity between our conceptions and the objective realities for the same reason the predicate ludicrous or absurd is insulting the laugh of scorn announces with triumph to the baffled adversary how incongruous were the conceptions he cherished with the reality which is now revealing itself to him our own bitter laughter at the fearful disclosure of the truth through which our firmly cherished expectations are proved to be delusive is the active expression of the discovery now made of the incongruity between the thoughts which in our foolish confidence in man or fate we entertained and the truth which is now unveiled the intentionally ludicrous is the joke it is the effort to bring about a discrepancy between the conceptions of another and the reality by disarranging one of the two while its opposite seriousness consists in the exact conformity of the two to each other which is at least aimed at but if now the joke is concealed behind seriousness then we have irony for example if with apparent seriousness we acquiesce in the opinions of another which are the opposite of our own and pretend to share them with him till at last the result perplexes him both as to us and them this is the attitude of socrates as opposed to hippias protagoras gorgias and other sophists and indeed often to his collocutors in general the converse of irony is accordingly seriousness concealed behind a joke and this is humour it might be called the double counterpoint of irony explanations such as humour is the interpenetration of the finite in the infinite express nothing more than the entire incapacity for thought of those who are satisfied with such empty phrases irony is objective that is intended for another but humour is subjective that is it primarily exists only for one's own self 
accordingly we find the masterpieces of irony among the ancients but those of humour among the moderns for more closely considered humour depends upon a subjective yet serious and sublime mood which is involuntarily in conflict with a common external world very different from itself which it cannot escape from and to which it will not give itself up therefore as an accommodation it tries to think its own point of view and that external world through the same conceptions and thus a double incongruity arises sometimes on the one side sometimes on the other between these concepts and the realities thought through them hence the impression of the intentionally ludicrous thus of the joke is produced behind which however the deepest seriousness is concealed and shines through irony begins with a serious air and ends with a smile with humour the order is reversed the words of mercutio quoted above may serve as an example of humour also in hamlet polonius my honourable lord i will most humbly take my leave of you hamlet you cannot sir take from me anything that i will more willingly part with all except my life except my life except my life again before the introduction of the play at court hamlet says to ophelia what should a man do but be merry for look you how cheerfully my mother looks and my father died within these two hours ophelia nay tis twice two months my lord hamlet so long nay then let the devil wear black for i'll have a suit of sables again in jean paul's titan when chopin melancholy and now brooding over himself frequently looking at his hands says to himself there sits a lord in bodily reality and i in him but who is such heinrich heine appears as a true humorist in his romancero beyond all his jokes and drollery we discern a profound seriousness which is a shame to appear unveiled accordingly humour depends upon a special kind of mood or temper german laune probably from luna through which conception in all its modifications a decided predominance of the subjective over the objective in the apprehension of the external world is thought moreover every poetical or artistic presentation of a comical or indeed even a farcical scene through which a serious thought yet glimmers as its concealed background is a production of humour thus is humorous such for example is a coloured drawing of tischbein's which represents an empty room lighted only by the blazing fire in the grate before the fire stands a man with his coat off in such a position that his shadow going out from his feet stretches across the whole room tischbein comments thus on the drawing this is a man who has succeeded in nothing in the world and who has made nothing of it now he rejoices that he can throw such a large shadow now if i had to express the seriousness that lies concealed behind this jest i could best do so by means of the following verse taken from the persian poem of anwari soheli if thou hast lost possession of a world be not distressed for it is not or hast thou gained possession of a world be not o'erjoyed for it is not our pains our gains all pass away get thee beyond the world for it is not then at the present day the word humorous is generally used in german literature in the sense of comical arises from the miserable desire to give things a more distinguished name than belongs to them 
the name of a class that stands above them thus every inn must be called a hotel every money-changer a banker every concert a musical academy the merchant's counting-house a bureau the potter an artist in clay and therefore also every clown a humorist the word humour is borrowed from the english to denote a quite peculiar species of the ludicrous which indeed as was said above is related to the sublime and which was first remarked by them but it is not intended to be used as the title for all kinds of jokes and buffoonery as is now universally the case in germany without opposition from men of letters and scholars for the true conception of that modification that tendency of the mind that child of the sublime and the ridiculous would be too subtle and too high for their public to please which they take pains to make everything flat and vulgar well high words and a low meaning is in general the model of the noble present and accordingly nowadays he is called a humorist who was formerly called a buffoon End of chapter 8 recording by expatriate in bangor maine